My guest this week is Sarah Kennedy. Sarah is speaking to us from Austin, Texas. She is a leadership strategist and an author. She's written three books on subjects, including Leadership Unchained. And that's primarily what she's developed her brand around, helping organizations with leadership And I'm always intrigued how someone has managed to go from working, let's say, in the corporate space as an employee, as many of us have, to then developing over time that key message, helping organizations to hire someone like her to solve the kinds of problems that only she can solve. And that's where we begin today. We'll cover all of that. And of course, then Sarah's got some tips for us, which I'm going to share with you, including why you should resist the urge to spend time and money on success coaches and programs. In fact, you're more likely to be successful if you just start somewhere and get some kind of product out there or some kind of service to your potential client base. And then speaking of clients, Sarah has some tips on why you should meet your current and prospective clients where they are, not where you want them to be. And lastly, but not least, why it's important to invest more time and energy in attracting small, medium, or large businesses, not individuals. So that's all the stuff we'll cover today in the next 30 minutes. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the Training Business Podcast. This is the weekly show for self-employed consultants, coaches, trainers, someone who is perhaps like you and I, focused on making money from your knowledge. Maybe you've accumulated years of experience working for other people, and now has come the time to develop your own programs, workshops, courses, books, keynotes, And that's what this show is about. It's about the business of making money from your knowledge, converting this into programs and services which you sell to people who need what you know and can help them to achieve. Now, maybe you have your own expert business, fine, but there still is lots of value from listening to other people. And we go out there and we find great trainers who've got courses or books or keynotes, and we share their knowledge with you every single Thursday. I'm a self-employed trainer. I'm a coach. I'm a published author. I've screwed up. I've made so many mistakes that I've learned to correct them. And I've taken great pleasure in sharing my mistakes and others' mistakes with you in this podcast every single Thursday. Sometimes we have a one-to-one episode. Sometimes it's, in fact, most of the time we have great guests on the show to help you to learn from their journey. So wherever you are on this journey, can I please ask you a small favor, which is to now click on the follow button or the subscribe button to be notified of great episodes of the podcast when they come out on your podcast platform of choice. It costs absolutely nothing. It takes only a couple of seconds and helps you to be notified of great episodes as they come out. Sarah, hi, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. You are speaking to me today from Austin, Texas, where I've been quite a few times, one of my favorite cities in the States. Um, Let's go back to the beginning because many of the guests we have on the show have a fantastic story. How do they get from where they were, like the rest of us, to being recognized experts in their subject matter field? 
which in your case is leadership. So why don't we go back to the time of your choosing and then walk us forward to those milestones that led you to the point where you are now as a recognized author and speaker and subject matter expert. Certainly. I uh, you know, started out somewhat traditionally, um, and I'll start with you know my first entree to corporate world, right? Started in a big company, uh, insurance, very sexy industry of insurance, of course. And it uh, was in a, you know, sea of other, uh, at the time, call center representatives for new insurance and for account services type insurance. And um, being exposed to a huge company like that, uh, even though I felt like a number was a good thing because the technology um, that I was exposed to was very well advanced. We that insurance company in particular was one of the first to do, you know, scanning and go paperless and you know those sorts of things. Um, I also have the benefit of having a uh, plan in which the company would pay full time for an advanced degree as long as I worked full time. So I took advantage of that, went to get my MBA at night, um, and then just you know did what I think we all do to some extent, which is just you know, put in the work, um, try to do well at what we're doing and get some certifications along the way, um, make make it known that that I was interested in moving up in the career ladder at that point, either as a trainer or as a team leader or manager, right? And I mentioned that because the rest of my career, I feel I had one foot in the talent management world and the other foot in the operations leadership world. And I will tell you that from that point forward is it, when I did move into a, a team leader, then manager, then vice president role, it was primarily operations management. But I had one stint, a two-year stint as a manager of an organizational development department within the same insurance company. Um, so I, I was always exposed to both. I always loved both. I tell people I think it was my ego that kept me in operations management. And I say that because, you know, if there are four executives lined up to see the president, unfortunately, human resources, talent development, talent management isn't necessarily the first to get in, right? It's going to be your finance manager, it's going to be your operations person. Um, but really, when I decided to leave corporate, um, that's when I decided I'm going to go follow what I really love. And I'm going to take my uh, experience as a leader and build a boutique leadership development company and speak on the topic of leadership and learn more about it. Um, frankly, uh, even though I had done it, I had so much to learn, right? And, uh, you know, the, the science and art of leadership is always evolving, right? To this day, I'm constantly learning more. Uh, but it's something I love. So it doesn't feel like work to me. So, so if someone did, hires I, you, yeah. Um, yeah. what do they hire Sarah Kennedy for? If, if someone thinks of your name, what is, what is sure. it synonymous with in the marketplace? Yeah. So I think one of two things, either they want to help their employees take charge of their own career trajectory, right? So they bring me in to help employees 
with their leadership brand, with their personal brand, with how to target their development, how to figure out what their strengths are to leverage and where they have opportunities for growth so they can close any gaps um, that are appropriate for where they want to go. And the other is also leaders. If they are aware that leaders are being overwhelmed and in some cases overcome by the always-on do-more world, then they'll bring me in to help leaders create a better experience for not only those that, that they lead, but for themselves so that they can reconnect to what it means to be a leader um, and feel better about that role. Okay. Talk us about uh, talk to us about the process you went through to just from discovering that uh, this was a need that clients would pay for to uh, conceptualizing, developing, refining, and then producing and selling a product with a price tag. Sure. Early on, I think like most of us, early in starting our own company, um, we, we had ideas of where we would fit into a business or into a client's need. And so, you know, I originally started with some career acceleration and branding, sort of professional branding content. Um, and that was well received. But what I also would do would respond to something else, right? It may not have been in my toolkit, but if they asked me for it and they were an existing client, I would say, sure. I can do that for you. I can customize that. I can develop that for you. And I did that for a period of time. And what's great about that is you do get a sense of how to put the content together, how to create a training experience. But you also begin to realize, where do I really want to focus? Because do I really want the customer to continue to drive what I develop and create? Or do I want to enhance a very narrow portion of that content? I say very narrow, a narrower portion of that content and make it so good that it is something that would help an employer, a, you know, a customer, um, regardless of what you know, some of their issues are and their needs are. Um, so I have, I, I think you morph into a product that you can customize based on the unique culture and needs of an organization. But I think it takes some time to get there, right? And I think a lot of us make the mistake maybe of thinking that um, we can build a product and deliver it in a box. And I think more and more companies are just too discerning and they want real customization, and they want us to address the issues that are very current. And so our training becomes less and less evergreen. Do you have a particular way of interviewing your prospective clients and figuring out how to customize that with them, not just for them? Have you a I process? Do. Okay. I do. And, and usually it's by me asking a lot of questions. You know, I'll get an outreach email, you know, can, can you provide XYZ training? Or we're thinking of doing, um, you know, ABC training. And usually, you know, like, like most people who, who do this, who believe in needs assessment, but even at a very high level, 
I dig deeper. What caused you, what, what prompted this discussion among your leadership team to think that you need some training around coaching? I dig deeper to find out what, what's really happening, what's being exhibited by the leaders that they either want more of or want less of or want to fill the gap in for, right? And then I can explain my current content and my current delivery method. And then I can show them where I can tailor it. Uh, in fact, I just had a customer who wanted coaching for managers and leaders. And they are all their leaders are about to get feedback from different people in the organization about the people they lead because they're more of like an accounting firm, right? They have um, more of a matrixed organization. And I said, you know, we could customize it so that they could bring that feedback with them and we can talk about, okay, how are you going to collate this and make it into something meaningful for your direct reports, right? That's just an example. When it comes to marketing yourself, you've written a couple of books. Um, I've only written one, um, but it's a start. And um, sure. I'm curious as to what you found were the results of writing books on leadership, unchanged, uh, coaching essentials, and so on. What did that do for your business? Well, I think first and foremost, it gives you credibility, right? Um, if if people see that you are uh, you have enough content, enough research to write about it. That says something. And so, you know, that that's the start of it. Um, the other is, you know, typically my books and my blog posts, um, you know, I, I, I work on this. I try to be more personable and, and share a little bit about myself or my personal life because I think that's what connects you to others. But I'm always thinking about how can I give leaders tools, advice, suggestions, more than theory, right? So I, I tend to write that way, whatever I'm writing. It's, it's usually here are some developmental suggestions. Here's some things you can do. And I, I want to operationalize the theory. And so I think that helps because companies see that if I can take that type of content that I put in blogs and books and share it in a training or in a speaking engagement, then I'm actually giving people some strategies they can use when they walk away. And it's more than theory or inspiration. And then, of course, that, uh, that's nice collateral, isn't it, to, to keep people engaged, uh, coming back to you. I found personally that um, when I've got some kind of juicy PDF, which goes along with a chapter or something else, it's more shareable and it's more yes. likely that people will, you know, talk to people outside the classroom about what I do and what my brand does. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I agree. How else do you market yourself? You've got 66,000 followers on LinkedIn. What other things do you do to keep people, you know, looking at you, not the competition? Yeah, you know, I think it really it's about content. It's about generating content but useful content, right? And I've been at this for years. And, you know, for some people they just it 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 overwhelms them. They think it's not worth it. They see very little traction, but it it just takes time and you know, it all starts with not just putting out your own content, but responding to other people's content you know, and adding your 
uh, take on things and maybe retweeting others' content with some comments and support um, so that people see that, yeah, you are trying to put out useful content, but you're also engaging as well. You don't expect it to be a one-way street, in other words. Um, and I think that's been very helpful. You know, I think a lot of the followers I have on LinkedIn come from my LinkedIn courses, my LinkedIn learning courses. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful for that. I'm, I'm grateful that they want to engage with me. And I do my best even on that platform. I'm answering questions because there's a Q&A platform. That's another way to engage with learners and um, feel like there's more of a connection. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if we think of your three tips today, and I, and I have to thank you for putting those together in advance. Um, the first thing is to resist the urge to spend time and money on success coaches and programs. Now I smiled when I saw this because I thought, you know, I'm guilty of that. <laughs> the number of times I felt that I'm not knowledgeable enough, or I need someone else to do something for me, which I can probably do myself, but there's a temptation to spend money. Um, Let's talk about that one first. Why do you say resist the urge to spend time and money on success coaches and programs designed to help someone listening grow their business? Well, I think it's something I see all too often that people who either want to start a business or grow the business, they they spend too much time. I mean, it's not just the money, it's the time. And it almost becomes um, easier to work through a success program or work with some sort of a coach than to just start doing what you need to do, right? Most people know what they need to do. Um, And here's the other reason I, I say that is because the money that you would spend on a success coach can be used to actually hire somebody to do some of the things you need to do, right? Because you cannot do it all. And when I begin to get out of the guilty phase of spending money on my business, when I finally said, look, I'm worth it, I've got to do this because I'm conservative by nature, the minute I started spending some money on getting help to do some things to help grow my business, that's when my business started to take off. And I, again, you know, I I'm asked to give advice, and I'm I'm talking to, you and I, I I can see it. I can early on in in this in this business, I saw people go to programs and stay in those programs way longer than they should have, commit more money than they should have um, when they were ready. Um, and I so I think part of it uh, it for some people it's just a it's because there's it's a fear, right? It's a fear of jumping in and just doing it instead of being in a program. Right. And again, many people I'm sure are smiling to themselves thinking that sounds like me. Yeah. Um, if I just follow this guru, I'll be, um, you know, out of thousands of followers and I'll be earning money uh, from my courses. But unless you actually start that development process yourself, that's not something a coach will do. Right. Uh, what a coach is designed to do or there to do is to help you discover that path yourself in a way. Exactly. Um, your second point is meet your current and prospective clients where they are, not where you want them to be. So again, if we're thinking of this from a business perspective as, as coaches, consultants, trainers, what does that mean? 
Well, I'll use the pandemic as a prime example. Um, you know, all of us were, were, were pivoting to do online virtual uh, delivery and consulting. And I found that for the first, wow, year and a half after the pandemic hit, I was putting aside my typical topics and I was arming myself with content around how do I help people, um, how do I help leaders, for example, keep their employees engaged, help them uh, address their employees' concern of uncertainty and chaos and keep saying themselves, what kinds of things could they do? And again, I was very operational. Um, then it shifted to how do I help leaders protect, to some degree, the mental health of themselves and their employees? Um, how do I help people from the um, being victims of the great resignation, right? Companies and leaders. So I was doing in-the-moment type content delivery, even if it meant shifting from doing a keynote to doing a fireside chat. Those became really successful for me during the pandemic because I could address issues that their leaders and their executives were facing right then and there. And it didn't have to be something that, you know, I spent a lot of time developing my keynotes like most people do. And this is just something, you know, I, I didn't have the time to put that kind of content into a keynote. But boy, I did have time to do research and offer valuable advice, right? So that's what I mean about meeting them where they are. Now, I can say that I have been fortunate enough in the last, oh, six months to a year to go back to leadership, to go back to career acceleration and those sorts of things. But I still, they still have an essence of what's going on today, right? So now it's quiet quitting. Do I speak on quiet quitting? No. Will I maybe weave that into something I'm talking about as leaders? Yes. Right. So that's how um, that's how you can keep up to date, and and frankly, that's what your customers are going to expect. That's what your clients are. going So to you expect. have this this you could say perennial topic, yes. which could be uh, leadership in some sphere in, in corporate world. Yes, but what makes it relevant is what's going on right now and the struggles that they have. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. The last one is invest more time and energy on attracting small, medium or large businesses, not individuals. And I guess this speaks to the difference between some of us in the, the world of training and development consulting um, who would aim at B2C, right. which, is, which is not me, and I guess it's right. not you, but it's more right. B2B. Because for many of us, this is where those retainers come from. It's that, sure. uh, that, uh, that corporate business, that software company, insurance company that um, has this consistent need with, with churn. They want onboarding. They want development programs for their leadership, line managers, et cetera. But let's talk about that for a second. Invest more time and energy on attracting small, medium, or large businesses, not individuals. Well, you know, let's just start with social media or our web pages. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is, uh, you know, 
kind of a, a, a strange saying um, to some, but what I think of is when you write your copy, for example, on your webpage, are you selling dog food to the dog itself or to the dog owner, right? So sometimes we forget and we'll say, you know, let's say we ask three questions, compelling questions on our website. Are you struggling to keep up as a leader in our always-on, do-more world, right? Which is a valid question, but you could also switch that and saying, are your leaders struggling to keep up with our always-on, do-more world, right? So it's semantics, but it make it can make a difference, right? Because mm-hmm. you're really trying to speak to the people that will hire you, whether that be senior leaders or talent management departments, training and development departments. Um, And so the same goes to some degree with the posts that you write, the content you write. You want to be as helpful to HR managers and talent managers as you are to the end user or the end, uh, in my case, as, as as you are to the leader themselves. Does that make sense? It does. It's a terrific point. And I'll tell you why that's quite relevant in, in the current context. As I rent, I actually paid a copywriter recently to write something for me. Um, and and that's to your point about investing in your business now and again. It's tempting to say, I'll do this myself. But actually, there are things that I think um, some people have the edge on me for in terms of uh, things like copywriting. But what I noticed was they didn't pick up on the fact that the people they were writing for were not the end users, but the people who are buying me. And when I said that to them, I said, look, you need to change the words here because this is speaking to people who have the problem, not people who are hiring people to make their problem go away. And that's a very significant difference. It's also likely to be a, an expensive mistake if our copy or the, the content we write is not for the people who make buying decisions to hire us. It's for the okay. people with the decisions or rather with right. the problems. Yeah. Right. And and so so that's a start. And then the marketing, right? The sales mm. and marketing. Um, you know, we, we need to focus on the larger enterprises, the medium and small enterprises. And where do we go to attract those? You know, you already mentioned LinkedIn. I, I spend little to no time on Facebook or Instagram or even Twitter. I devote almost all of my time on LinkedIn because I know that's a business platform, right? Um, Not to say that I haven't had some luck or following or happen chance of somebody who saw something I did on any of those other platforms. But for the most part, that's where um, I I do most of my marketing, uh, content development, that sort of thing. Um, You know... And I and so and I'm sure your listeners know this already, right? But but there could be there could be um, some small training companies that 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 tend to do a lot on Facebook, right? And if that's the case, I would urge them to look at expanding their LinkedIn presence um, because I think that's maybe where more of their buyers might be. And you're so right. And it's tempting when we're starting off to think that we have to appeal to everyone on all platforms. We've got Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, something else. Uh, that's a recipe for fatigue. Yes. LinkedIn is is quite simply the only show in town when it comes to B2B, I think. I agree. Um, if you're selling maybe, I don't know, some kind of uh, therapy training, then fine, B2C. 
Facebook, right. great. But um, if it's corporate and you've got buyers out there, talent managers, directors of enablement, then that's where they're going to be. Um, fantastic. But there's so much more we could we could chat about today. Um, where can people find out more about you, Sarah? Well, of course, my website, so mm-hmm. sarahcanaday.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, also LinkedIn, I'm, I'm pretty um, consistent there in terms of uh, offering content. I have a newsletter on LinkedIn. Um, you know, they can find me on Facebook and on Twitter <laughs> and on Instagram. I can't promise I'm as active there. Um, in fact, if you follow me on one of those, you might see a picture of my son in a football uniform, right? <laughs> but um, that gives you some some window into my world these days, other than work. Um, and uh, yeah, well, that's that's a, that's a wrap. It's it's been wonderful talking to you, and thank you so much for being my oh. guest today on the show, Sarah. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. My sincere thanks to today's guest, Sarah Kennedy. You can find out more about Sarah by visiting her on LinkedIn. That's Sarah, S-A-R-A, Kennedy, C-A-N-A-D-A-Y. Sarah is in Austin and her website is sarahkennedy.com. And you'll find, of course, Sarah's books on Amazon, including Leadership Unchained. What about next week's episode? Well, as I've said before the show today, we've episodes every Thursday without fail, and we're looking forward to you coming back next week. My thanks to Sarah for being my guest today, and of course, my thanks to you for taking your time to listen to this podcast. If you have a suggestion or a question, you can email me directly. My email address is mark at trainingbusiness.com. I read all emails and reply to them individually. My team, Sam, Joe, James, and Turul, appreciate your loyalty, and we'd love you to tell other people about the show. If you want to come back for more episodes, and I'm sure you will, please click on follow or subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and you can find out all about app episodes past, present, and future by going over to trainingbusiness.com. That's www.trainingbusiness.com. Until next Thursday, when there is a fresh episode of the Training Business Podcast. Keep going, and I'll see you next time. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.